Hey, what's up? Thanks for tuning in to Dogpile. This podcast is brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Mississippi Land Bank, where you can find them online at mslandbank.com. So anything land-related, buying, selling, farmland, hunting land, even property to build that dream home, go to Mississippi Land Bank in North Mississippi. They are mslandbank.com. Also brought to you by Jubilations Cheesecake in West Point. Jubilations Cheesecakes make great fundraiser items. If you're looking for that next uh, opportunity or if you've got a fundraiser coming up uh, for your church or your school or your cheerleading squad or your baseball team or whatever that is, make sure you give them an opportunity because they'll work with you. You're going to make profit. You're going to sell a great quality item and they'll work with you and print your sales sheets for you as well. Again, that next fundraiser, think Jubilations Cheesecake. What's up, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of Dogpile. Folks, the, the page is officially turned, okay? The regular season, it's done. It's over with. It is officially postseason baseball time. Granted, the, mm-hmm. the next week of postseason baseball is a little less high leverage than the rest of the postseason that follows it, but apparently that's not something that particular sects of the fan base like to hear. We'll get to that later on in the show, but let's start with the most pressing matters at hand. Obviously, I am Brett Hudson, joined by Matt Wyatt, as always. And Matt, with the weekend series win over South Carolina, they win 24-7, to 11-2, lose the final game 10-8. to They close their regular season 45-11, and 20-10 mm-hmm. in SEC play, 36-5. and Inside the state of Mississippi, mm. just a ridiculous regular season for the 2019 Mississippi State Bulldogs. They finished tied for the lead in the SEC West. They end up getting the four seed in the SEC tournament. Uh, yeah, the the events of the final day of the regular season may have been a little disappointing, but they still get a series win to end the regular season. And, and overall, this season, I mean, you're, you're more – versed in the history of Mississippi State baseball than than I am, but this has to be upper echelon. Oh yeah. No doubt. In terms of, you know, a regular season. What what you're kind of there's so much too that you look at. Um not just wins and losses, but also you know, these these other little benchmarks. I mean, Jake Mangum this year became the SEC mm-hmm. all time hits leader. Uh four and oh against Ole Miss. Yeah. Four and oh against them. Chris Lamonis is now the winningest first-year head coach in in SEC baseball history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the opening of the new park uh, this year and all those great crowds for home games. And there's just so many. The fact that the team went undefeated in midweek games, frankly, <laughs> that most likely will never happen again in our lifetime, Brett. Probably not. Okay. And so anyway, it's just there's so many things you you point to that indicate it's been a special year for what is a special team. Now, I've said this before, though. The way we remember college baseball teams, particularly at Mississippi State, is by what they do in a postseason. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is at a program like this. It's still whatever happens shouldn't. Take away, though, 
from just how incredible this regular season run was and, and how resilient they were and focused they were in midweek games, all that stuff, because it, it really has been you know, a heck of a deal to watch. And your your point about the undefeated in, in midweeks, it kind of adds to something I was thinking about the other day, and I can't I can't really articulate it concisely and well yet, but I'm just gonna kind of think out loud and and hope you and the listener kind of understands what I'm what I'm getting at. This was kind of a drama free season. Mm. Now now of course. Mississippi State fans, Mississippi State baseball fans being as as passionate and, and borderline insane at times as they are, <laughs> they're going to create drama where a sport like baseball probably doesn't need it. Like there was a lot of drama around that LSU series going the way it did. And then, of course, that Arkansas series and a couple of scary moments with the bullpen here and there that may have cost them one game in a three game series. Here and there, um, I mean, Elijah McNamee's injured. I'm sure there are some people freaking out about that. But for the most part, this was a pretty drama-free season. I mean, there were only, what, two losing streaks mm-hmm. in this entire season? The two games at the end of the LSU series and then that Arkansas sweep? Yeah. I mean, it's just – it's incredibly uncommon for a baseball team to to never really settle into a valley – like like these guys did, they would they would have their dip, but then they would immediately come right back up. That Southern Miss series comes to mind. Uh, the Tennessee series comes to mind. Uh, a lot of opportunities for them to kind of settle into a valley, and they never did. The Texas A and M series comes to mind too. Uh, it just it just never happened for for this bunch, and it was just kind of a drama free regular season. I mean, you look at the regular season that the folks at LSU. Are having it, and state fans know that better than most that they that that team rode up and down and up and down because we happened to see one of those ups when they were here in Starkville mm-hmm. for that weekend series. But those ups and downs and ups and downs that now luckily they're getting they're kind of getting their stuff together here at the end of the season, and they just might host a regional out of it. But those those ups and downs it makes for a bumpy ride, it makes for a stressful ride, and it makes for a ride that like LSU is having right now where they go into their conference tournament thinking they're going to host a regional, but they're not a hundred percent sure. Whereas Mississippi state, they kind of have a drama free season other than just the occasional bump in the road that is unavoidable in a sport like baseball. And they know what their postseason situation is. They're they know they're going to host a regional. They're 99% certain they're going to host a super regional. Mm -hmm. That's just what they are because they were able to keep this thing drama free for the most part. And when your your team is as good and as battle tested as this one has been since almost everyone on this roster was on last year's team and, and many of them were on the 2017 team. I mean, they, they what have they not seen and, and that college baseball can offer at this point? Um, they, they kind of been through the battles and, and they know how to handle this kind of thing. But because. They're so mature and in their process. They're so battle-tested in their process, and they're just so ridiculously talented, so over-the-top talented. They can do this kind of thing where they can work through a 56-game baseball season mm-hmm. with little to no drama, and it, it just it just baffles me, especially considering the previous two regular seasons that I've I've covered here, which were which was the the roller coaster to end all roller coasters. The 2019 season very much was not that. And it was a good thing for for this group to just be steadily good 
over the course of the entire season. I mean that that South Carolina that South Carolina loss ended what was an eight game win streak, I believe, and then they had a let's see five game win streak right before that. They strung together five wins around Super Bulldog weekend. Uh, they only lost one non-conference game, so there was a big win streak to start the year. They were just steadily on top for more or less the entire regular season, mm-hmm. and that is that is an accomplishment that is rare. I, I, just, I don't know how to describe how rare that is, honestly. It kind of contradicts the nature of the sport that they play. It, it's almost as rare as a uh, a beat reporter at a school actually working from a kiddie pool in the outfield. That's almost, you know, that is pretty rare. It's almost that rare. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) was the pineapple microphone, by the way, Brett, the whole thing was outstanding. Now look, and if you're (laughs) listening and you don't know what we're talking about, uh, first of all, shame on you, but, um, let me say, so Brett during the Sunday game went live on Periscope. So look him up on Periscope or just look him up on Twitter, Brett underscore Hudson. From out in the outfield with some fans and friends and the like, and uh, from a kiddie pool. They had a kiddie pool out there with water in it. I was working down in South Mississippi that morning, but my drive back home brought me near Starkville, so I ventured back in to do the take the camera out and do the walkthrough thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, do the full 360. So I got to see the kiddie pool, and I saw they had a lifeguard with a whistle. Anyway, though, if you look at Brett's periscope, he's holding a pineapple. And it, it, Brett, you were kind of making – it was like, hey, this is a microphone. I just thought the only way it could have been better is like if there had been a microphone actually hidden in the pineapple. But that still, it was good. Fantastic. <laughs> But yeah, they, they did it big, man. So it was the the Pie Kappa Phi frat uh, mm-hmm. lounge out there. I mean, they had the kiddie pool with the water in it. Uh, they had tiki torches like taped to the edge of their of their lounge where they have like the the caging, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Um, like they were all drinking out of pineapples. They were all drinking margaritas out of pineapples. They were doing like uh, Caribbean jerk chicken, which was delicious. Yeah. Um, like cut up pineapple slices everywhere. Uh, just, a just a heck of a time. How did they get, how did they get enough water out there and in that pool for it to be basically ankle deep? Um, like 10 coolers and a trash can (laughs) filled with water brought out there during the servicing time. That's the, uh, that's the answer. (laughs) That's great. A bunch of coolers full of water and one trash can. Well, yep. you, you do what you have yep. to do. They say they did in one trip because they just had like eight or nine dudes yeah. just carrying coolers and trash cans full of full of water. So everybody made one trip and, and got the thing. You nailed it. It's about ankle deep in water. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I, I walked up there with my camera and I said, hey, I want somebody to do a cannonball in here. And then the lifeguard blew the whistle and said, nope, no cannonballs. <laughs> now, when in the game was that? This would have been later on. This was after you were gone, Brett. So like, okay, I, I bring that up because after, as I was about to leave the lounge and go back to the press box and try to act like I'm an adult, <laughs> that same lifeguard low key did a cannonball into that. Kid <laughs> <pool>. <laughs> that's, 
I mean, he didn't busted. go like full on ball up the body, but he definitely. So if you've been in the lounges in the outfield, you know, they're kind of multi-layered, like at mm-hmm. the front, the front is the lowest part of the lounge. And there's a couple of steps up to the top that forms the walkway around the back. And he like, like kind of step jumped his way down from the top level of that lounge. I mean, it's only two steps, so it wasn't mm-hmm. like a serious jump, but did it into the pool and it splashed everywhere. It got a phone wet. There's water on the tarp underneath the, uh, underneath the kiddie pool. So it's, it's funny that the, the <laughs> lifeguard of, of the event said blew the whistle and said, yeah. no, considering he, uh, he made a similar plunge earlier that day. What we've discovered is that the lifeguard is a different person on camera versus off camera. That's what we've learned now. Well, I mean, on camera, he said he's passed every lifeguard test known to man. Uh huh. Right. So known I to even, man. I even asked as a serious journalist, right? <laughs> I asked the follow up question, even the ones in Croatia, and and he said yes. So he's, <laughs> he's apparently he's apparently at. Uh, taken and passed every lifeguarding test on planet Earth. Yeah. So this is, as I was telling the Periscope viewers, this is the peak in safety. Everyone in that lounge is perfectly safe because there's a lifeguard yeah. there. Uh, apparently, okay. one of the highest trained lifeguards on planet Earth. That's all I'm saying. I, <laughs> I can just repeat what I was told. Uh, well, let me say two points about it. Um, number one, Brett, um, I officially claimed it at one point. In the 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 first comment you got on Periscope. Yeah, 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 yeah. You uh, you know, you stepped up, you leaned up to read it on the phone, and it struck me. Um, at some point, we're going to launch a podcast, and the name of the podcast is going to be "Lean In for Comments." That's going to I I officially claim that name, that title, <laughs> "Lean In for Comments." Uh, we'll call it "Lick" for short. And the tagline will be the F is silent. <laughs> the F <laughs> is always silent. <laughs> and then um, the other point is, if you're listening, if you'll check it out, look at my Twitter feed or just go look up my YouTube page. It's You can find it with Radio Wyatt on any of that, but on uh, YouTube officially, it's .com slash Matt Wyatt Media. But uh, I got it posted all over the place. But I posted a video, and it's on the Facebook page too. Posted a video of a one-shot walkthrough of Duty Noble Field without any cuts or any edits. It's just totally nat sound, meaning what it sounds like, what it looks like. I started at the main entrance behind home plate and then took a left down a third baseline through the outfield from one foul pole to the other, back down the first baseline and back out the entrance. And I posted that. And what you can do when you watch that is you kind of get an idea of the build of the stadium and the way it works if you've never been in the outfield or you never walked it. It really is kind of striking how literally, literally, when you enter that stadium, you can walk 360 degrees around the entire thing and never lose sight of the field. Yep. And everywhere you go, it's just it's like an event. I mean – in and of itself, my wife was watching some of the video, and she said, "That place just kind of looks like a uh, like a theme park. I mean, you got people cooking, you got others over here walking around dressed up like a cowbell, you got people in a kiddie pool." She said, "It looks like it'd be a lot of fun. We want to go." And so, 
you know, I'm going to take my wife and daughter and we're just going to kind of experience it. And I think the regional actually be a, a good time to do that. But anyway, just wanted to put that out there. If you've wondered, if you haven't been able to go, or if you've gone and you didn't do the kind of the walk around to see the different vantage points, um, you might watch that because it gives you a little bit of an, an idea. It really is a neat atmosphere. Truly. Yeah. That, that, uh, I remember when I was doing, um, I got a couple of behind the scenes tours of the facility back when it was a construction site, mm -hmm. um, like had the hard hat, the construction vest whole thing. I've actually got the construction vest, like right underneath my feet in my home office as we're, as we're recording this. And uh, I remember the guys I was talking to on the construction site at the time, um, talking about that 360 degree circle. That was one of the things that was in place in the 2018 season. Um, when they were, when they were first constructing it and they were kind of doing a halfway house kind of deal for that 2018 season in between, um, the old and the new duty noble fields that, that was a big deal to them. They wanted, really good sight lines for for the spectator for the entire circle uh i mean it's not a circle but you get what i'm saying for the entire 360 degree spectrum of of that stadium and they and they nailed it i mean other than the batter's eye the the batter's eye is the only place in the stadium where you can't mm -hmm. see some part of the field from that concourse that full circle concourse and and for those that haven't seen the video you should and for those that are kind of looking for different vantage points on the game uh, when you do come for a regional or, or in theory a super regional. One of my favorite views in in the ballpark, and I, I hope y'all experience this, is that bridge down the left field line in between the lounges and the concourse that kind of hovers over the bullpen. I really enjoy that view because you get to you get a really good view of the lounges in the right field and the berm in right field, the student section area, they're just going bananas at all points in time. Uh, you can you can see home plate pretty good, and because it's kind of a, a pole alley for righties, it's kind of common to get a, a hard hit ball mm -hmm. in your direction. But also, if you're there in the later, later stages of the game, the bullpen is literally right underneath you, yeah. so you can see guys go through their warm-up routines and, and throw their pitches, and there's even a, a certain section – kind of on the lower level, like right at the end of that concourse that goes up the stairs to that bridge where you can be behind the bullpen pitchers and you can watch them throw their warm-up pitches as if you were the television camera and they were on the mound in the actual game. So that kind of corner of the of the left field line is one of my my favorite spots in the in the stadium. And I think they should uh I think they should experience that if they can. Did you have a particularly keen spot in that 360 yeah you know um i felt like out there well left and right where you have plenty of room to to stand there's all kinds of uh, you know vantage points that you know really do make it just neat especially if you're around people you know i mean i get and and sense the the draw of you're hanging out with people you know you got your own little place and you're cooking your own food out there and you're watching the, the ball game, you know, because from the outfield, looking back up towards home plate, the grandstand's so impressive now, it kind of adds to the spectacle. Mm -hmm. But I would say that what was really cool to me is, let's just say you're there for a regional this coming week, not this week, but next at some point, 
and it's hot. Okay, let's say it's really hot. And Which it will be. And it will be. And let's say you don't have a chair back seat. Well, you get up there in the concourse area of the uh, you know the grandstand behind home plate and around the baselines. You're totally shaded and cool. It's like a wind tunnel coming through there anyway, so it's, it cools yeah. you off. And you have those drink rails where you can just stand there, put your food down. You know, if your wife's there, they got a purse. You know, she's got some place to sit it. And you just kind of comfortably lean there and eat and drink and watch baseball in the shade. You know, from one way up one baseline all the way around home plate all the way to the other. Uh, I, I thought that was a really neat – it's a neat vantage point that way also. It's just – it's incredibly well done. Yeah, and, and, you know, the um, the games this weekend, Brett, probably should recap that real quick too. I, I mean, what can you say about those first two? I mean, 24-7, to 7, come on. Seriously. 24-7. <laughs> well, seven. here's where I was going to attempt the, uh, the awkward uh, audio segue about the outfield, right? And how Josh Hatcher is apparently trying to destroy it by sending balls into it at 108 miles an hour. With somewhat regularity, he was he was the star of the weekend for me. And yeah, Tanner Allen went just bananas. And I'm writing about him in in full count right now for for this week. It'll it'll be up sometime around the the posting of this episode. So if you're listening to this, it's probably up on the website. Go to mattwyattmedia.com. Uh, find the the blog, the Hudson Report page. On you can find full count for a full recap of Tanner Allen's ridiculous weekend. But Josh Hatcher. Man, he uh, was he was awesome. He was hitting bombs <laughs> out there. He had four hits in this weekend. Three of them left the yard, and that one that one to dead what dead straight center. I think that was in the Saturday game. Mm-hmm. No, the Friday game. It was in the Friday game. Uh, I, I mean, I'm like up in the press box, like doing math on that because that's the one thing about the current TrackMan system that isn't dead on is the distance. Um, measurement that's that's just a guess based on an algorithm like they can nail the exit velocity they can nail the launch angle they can't necessarily nail the distance that that ball travels once it it leaves the ballpark and i I thought that estimate was low because the estimate was like 411 but here's the deal that ball it went dead away center so that's 390 now it used to be 400 now it's 390 and it pelts the batter's eye which Mm. is probably I mean, uh, at least 15 feet behind that center field wall, right? So that's that's at least 405. And there were people, shouts to Chad Dacus on this. Chad, Chad Dacus, Chad Dacus, Dacus, I should know that. Anyway, he makes great tortillas out at One Tortilla Grill. That's my guy. <laughs> he um he's, he stands on the back level of his lounge to, to grill, right? Yeah. And he said that ball hit at head level out at One Tortilla Grill. So that... That top level of that uh, lounge has to be at least four or five feet above the wall. The wall is probably what, like eight feet? Yeah. Hi. So that that yeah. ball. I mean, it's not it's not preposterous to say that ball was fifteen feet above the air, or fifteen feet above the ground, at four hundred and five feet away from home plate. Wow. He just hit nukes. Yeah. The entire weekend, and and yeah, he got ate up by the sun a couple of times, uh, mm-hmm. but his right field was still more than enough for for Mississippi State this weekend with Elijah McNamee out, particularly when he's hitting 
just nukes like that. What do you think of Josh Hatcher this weekend? Um, one of the best things I saw after the Friday game, I called it with Bart on the SEC Plus. Hatcher was our post game interview. You know where they put the headset on him down in the dugout. We interview. Him. <laughs> I know and, where you're going. Guys. And and while we're while Bart's asking him a question or whatever, Peyton Plumley walks up in the shot and has a razor, like a sure enough like a beard trimmer. Actually has one, and while Josh is being interviewed by us, Peyton Plumley began to, you know, act as if he was giving him a shave, you know, because Josh has the beard and the mustache and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, right. Hatcher was getting a little touch up beard shave from Peyton Plumley <laughs> during his <laughs> during his interview there. Uh, that was a great moment. But in that Friday game, drove in four runs and had two home runs, and you know, it was just really a shot in the arm. Yeah, and on the Sunday game, he lost two balls in the sun. Um, I, you, you watch that and you go, again, look, if you're going to run into that and then have to figure out a way to remedy it, go ahead and run into it in, on Sunday against South Carolina instead of running into it on a Friday of your regional, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I was okay with you know seeing that, kind of get that out of the way. But, yeah, he, he was just – they were locked in and good. And, again – it's example, I think, of a focus and maturity and just night out, night in, night out, the ability to go play good baseball. It's what led them to be undefeated in midweek games when you're not playing in front of a lot of people a lot of times, and it's not intense. And it's why on the last weekend when the whole world's telling you, this weekend doesn't really matter, you've already wrapped up a host in a national seed. It's why this team goes out there and puts up 24 runs on a, uh, a Thursday night and 11 on Friday night, you know, or 12 or whatever it was. And it's why, frankly, they're down big, 10 to 2 or whatever the heck it was at one point late in that game. They lose, they scored a bunch of runs late and almost won it. They come back and it's a 10 8 loss on yeah. the Sunday. It's just because this team, they, they approach every game the same way. And I think it's going to take them a long way in the postseason. You make a good point about Hatcher this weekend. Hatcher kind of embodying that team-wide maturity and trust and approach. And, and honestly, Chris Limonis made the the same point talking about the weekend Hatcher had. Here's what Chris Limonis had to say about Josh Hatcher after the, after the Friday game. I think it was the Friday game. After the Friday game of, of that series against South Carolina. I think him and Coach Gotro a couple weeks ago made some small adjustments. Um, and then he's just maturing, I think, as a player. I mean, we talked about it at the clubhouse afterwards. Um, you know, we go to Texas A&M and throw all the lefties. He doesn't play a lot. Lefties at Ole Miss, he just, you know, he's been in and out of the lineup. But uh, different than maybe as a younger player, he's, he just keeps working, keeps getting better. And um, Elijah gets hurt and he steps in and he's ready to go. And you're seeing him. He's a really good player. He's just, you're behind Tanner Allen and Elijah McAmey. So it's a, it's a tough spot to be in sometimes. But um, he's an important piece. He's had stretches in our season where he's been a big player for us. And yes, Hatcher, he did get beat up by the Sun a couple of times. I think that was in that Saturday game. And even when the Sun wasn't there, he did have a couple of putouts that weren't quite natural looking, which is fair considering he hasn't played in right field Mm -hmm. all season long. But he was such a net positive with the hitting. This is why I wish college baseball had a respectable war statistic to prove it. But the defense to me, is a little something to watch in the SEC tournament just because, again, 
And I, I've, I've said this before. Elijah McNamee played through some pretty awe-inspiring pain for weeks in the regular season. And you know he'll do it again in a heartbeat in that field of 64 in June. But if there were to be a complication, and if he did have to miss a few, the first few games of this NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. this is what you would have at your disposal with with Josh Hatcher at right field. So you might as know, might as well know what you're going to get from that defensively, just in case he isn't hitting dingers every time he's he's up to up to the dish. Uh, here was an underrated aspect of of the weekend. I wanted to get your thought on this because I thought it was interesting that Ethan Small put it this way. It was something he said. After his Thursday start, he got in trouble and he had to work through it. And he thought that was actually a good thing because that was something he has yet to do this year, which, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world when the guy's got a 1.84 ERA and he's striking out 15 dudes per nine innings. He's given up 45 hits in 83 innings. Uh, so, yeah, he hasn't been in a lot of trouble this year, but he got in trouble in that South Carolina uh, outing. He gave up two doubles in the first inning, gave up a run. That was something he had to do hadn't had to do all year, and he admitted after the fact it was a good thing to have that happen and to force him to find his way through it. His words were, "I got better today." I thought that was an interesting vantage point out of Ethan, and kind of an underrated aspect for him because now he's been through that this season with the arsenal of pitches and his approach for this season. He's been through that. He knows how to manage it and navigate it if it were to happen at some point in the field of 64, which when the competition gets bigger and the moment gets bigger, you assume it's going to happen at some point. Now he's been through it and he thinks that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, you know, and Brett, um, I just, you know, people have asked, I I did an interview uh, this morning and, you know, some of the same uh, types of questions. And that is, can this, you know, can this team win it all? And I just don't think I, I don't think that there's one teeny tiny bit of irresponsibility to to throw it out there and say, yes, this team can win it all. Yeah. Yes, they can win it all. They have what it takes. Um, it doesn't mean that they definitely will, and it doesn't mean that they definitely should. It's just saying they definitely can. And and frankly. I just think they have as good a chance at being a national championship caliber team now as they have in recent memories. You know, and again, I go back to that 16 team that hosted Arizona in a super regional, and you had Dakota Hudson as your starter. And Mm -hmm. you go back, that team won an SEC regular season title. It, I think it did go into the last weekend, but uh, you know I remember they won that in 16. Hosted, ho- won the regional, hosted the Super, all that stuff. I still don't know that that team was more talented than this one. I still don't know that that team – I don't think that team was as deep as this one. I don't think that team was as veteran in some ways as this one. And um, so – whether or not they will, I don't know. But so far, they've shown this this year a combination of they're a great team and they have a little it going on, coming back from behind and winning games and you know at the end and stuff. So I think uh, I think state fans have a, a right 
uh, justifiable reason to be very excited about this team. No, I, I think you make a good point about that 2016 team being what it was. Uh, I mean, talent, that's that's to be determined. But your veteran point, I think you're you're right on. Because look at some of the guys that, that made a big impact for that 2016 team. You look at uh, guys like Nathaniel Lowe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Blake Smith, Jack Kruger. These are all guys that had big impacts on Mississippi State in, in their time. And they were all new they were all transferred in jack kruger from a juco in california nathaniel lowe from a juco in florida and blake smith from shelton state and in alabama and then there was also another new guy on that team maybe you've heard of him a little kid from jackson prep switch hitting outfielder (laughs) you know do you know i'm talking about is that a, a good trivia question i think it's a pretty good trivia question yeah sure yeah freshman freshman outfielder from from pearl switch hitter (laughs) <laughs> he was he was new on the team. I think he he did something pretty impressive. He's he's okay at this at this game, I guess. He's okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's uh you you make a good point that this team is is probably more veteran than than that 2016 team was particularly on in the lineup in the field. And while I wasn't here to cover the 2016 team, so I don't want to speak in absolutes on something I didn't see with my own eyes, but I I'm I'm perfectly open to this 2019 team being more talented than that 2016 team. And if if they do in June what we all think they could do in June, you're you're up there in 2000 with 2013 and some of the the biggest lore that there is to offer in, in Mississippi State baseball history and all of that is to be determined in in the coming weeks. And it starts with the SEC tournament. We need to get to this before we before we sign off. So before we get into the tournament itself, uh, I was talking with some fellow Mississippi State beat folk, and and I saw that some of them were complaining about their their mentions being set ablaze when they suggested that the SEC tournament doesn't really matter. And uh, oh. a lot of that comes from the every game matters, blah, blah, blah crowd. But I was I – was, I don't want to say shocked, but I was kind of surprised to see that sentiment so prevalent because we, we've seen it time and time again where through 56 games, for the most part, you kind of prove what you are. Mm-hmm. And Mississippi State has proven itself to be a top eight national seed. Like they don't really have anything at stake here. Uh, there, there are teams out there like unless you're on the bubble of being in the tournament on the bubble of hosting a regional or on the bubble of hosting a super regional, the SEC tournament, it doesn't really impact what you are Mm -hmm. because all of this regular season, what you're trying to do is set yourself up best in that field of 64. You're trying to be in it. You're trying to host something in it, or you're trying to host all of it, Mm -hmm. whether you're a two, three or four in a regional or what regional you're in doesn't really matter as long as you're in the tournament, as long as you're hosting something or you're hosting all of it. Those are the three hurdles to clear everything in between those things. It doesn't really, it isn't really consequential. And in my opinion, when you see two feet, two seeds and three seeds come out of regionals and super regionals all the time, that kind of leads leads credence to that. So this is a big opportunity for teams like Florida and Tennessee 
and Missouri who have to kind of solidify themselves as as NCAA tournament teams and teams like LSU who really need to solidify themselves as a regional host. But when you're someone like Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, teams of that ilk and, and Georgia as a three seed who've kind of proven themselves to be both regional seeds and super regional hosts, I don't know that this is really all that high leverage of an event. Yeah, right. Well, I, I would say I, I totally agree with you. You know, I I, I do. I, I totally. Agree I just with found you. it weird that that sentiment was out there. You know, what it, weird that the the sentiment of I, I just found it weird that people were so passionate about oh. about the tournament. And like last year, be passionate about the tournament. The year before that, be passionate about the tournament. Yeah. This year, your your job is already complete. Yeah. You're done. It's different. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, and I think I think what it is is you know, motivations and stuff are different. I, nobody in a uniform, okay, so coaches or players, nobody goes to the SEC tournament and the mindset is, man, I wish we didn't have to play this. Okay, they they just don't do that. Okay, just put that out of your head. Players, coaches, they just don't do that. That's not what they do in baseball. Yeah. You got to keep in mind too; these are these are kids who, their entire lives have played travel baseball. It's just one tournament after another, after another, after another. Mm-hmm. He, here's the other thing you have to consider. We as fans primarily look at all of this from a team perspective. And that's what we care about the most is what does the team do? And in every context where it matters, Jake Mangum and, and um, you know, Jordan Westberg and all of Tanner Allen, they all look at it the same way. When the regional rolls around, it's about team. But listen, this is a thing where every team knows the SEC is the best com- baseball conference in America with most, probably the most talented top to bottom. Yes. And there will be a gaggle of Major League Baseball scouts. And not that they don't see them. They see them every weekend. Okay. They, they come and watch them practice and, and, you know, and play. Okay. They're kind of used to that. But this is a collection of talent. And they all go here and know they're make, they're continuing to make impressions <laughs> in terms of what kind of player they are. Every one of point. them, th- there's no such thing. There's no such thing as, for example, Tanner Allen going to the plate in an SEC tournament game, and he really doesn't care whether he hits the ball or not because it's the SEC tournament, and he's really just looking forward to the regional. Now, you see how silly that sounds? It's just silly. What it is, these guys, they compete at such a high level that every time you roll the bus up there and have them walk off with their bat and glove, they have one intention in mind, and that is beating you. That's the only thing they know. And that's what you get at the SEC tournament. So it's cool for us. It's cool for fans. And the other thing is, too, I'll just, you know – I think it might have been the 16 season. It might have been 15. I can't remember exactly which year, but I've brought this up before. But I remember they went to the SEC tournament, State did, and this pitcher, Zach Houston, 
who had not been a part of their weekend rotation. He'd primarily been a midweek guy. All of a sudden, he became Nolan Ryan at the SEC tournament. In a game that Mm -hmm. he pitched against a really good Alabama team, he mowed them down. And that propelled him to being a big part of their postseason run and winning the regional. And then the next thing you know, a couple months later, he got drafted in the 11th round. Nobody was even talking about him being a high draft pick prior to that. And he's worked his way up through the Tigers organization. It's an opportunity for – let me just throw some names out there. It's an opportunity for Keegan James. Yes. Who, if he gets it going, he could be a huge part of their postseason success. So it's it's a big opportunity for Keegan James. It's a big opportunity for Jack Egan, who you may need or going to need. It could – who knows? If you play enough games, it could be a big opportunity for like an Eric Sarantola. Um, so there's so much advantage to it that you don't have to look at it like, oh, well, they're just going to try to lose. No, they're not. Are the coaches and the players readily – I mean, they're going to admit the regional is the most important thing. Oh, yeah, no question. But, hey, we're in Hoover. We're going to try to win. And that's just the way they will approach it every time. That's a that's a good perspective on it. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to be honest. My, my primary goal for the SEC tournament is a Mississippi State-Vandy matchup. That's all I want. Why? Uh, and I would prefer to have three games of it in a weekend series or in a super regional. Uh, but that wasn't on the regular season schedule this year, and both of these teams are too good to to see each other in a three-game Super Regional. If they're going to see each other, it's either going to be for one game here in Hoover or for uh, in, in Omaha. That's that's when they'll they'll see each other. But these are uh, those are just two very good teams that have very obvious recent history mm-hmm. with one another that both return a good bit from the teams that have that recent history with one another. And I'd love nothing more than to see them on the same field at the same time. And it is possible um, because they're in the same half of, of the bracket. So the, the brackets are as follows Vanderbilt, Mississippi state, Auburn, Tennessee, LSU, South Carolina. They're on one half with Georgia and Arkansas having the advantage on Texas, A&M, Florida, Ole Miss, and Missouri. On, on the other side. So here, here's how it works. LSU and South Carolina will play each other on Tuesday. Winner plays Mississippi State. That's the that's the very, very late game Wednesday. Probably not going to start until 8.30-ish. Uh, the, the projected start time is 8. That never happens. No. Uh, like, ever. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't plan on that. Uh, and if they win that game, and if Vanderbilt wins its game against Auburn or Tennessee – then they would get to play each other in the super late Thursday night game. Um, uh, obviously, there's a lot of different ways this could fall, but that's that's honestly my number one goal for for the SEC tournament. I want to see Vandy and Mississippi State on the field at the same time. How do you feel about um, how do you feel about uh, incessant, constant, annoying whistling? How do you feel about that, Brett? Huh? <laughs> Oh, so I'm, I'm going to be honest. It took me longer than most to notice the whistler. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of like, uh, and I noticed this at the super regional. Like, 
everybody everybody is just like losing their minds, right? Like the state folk there in Nashville are just hating their lives <laughs> by yeah. being in such close proximity to the Vandy Whistler. Right. And I don't know what it is about my brain or pr- frankly, my ears are awful. So that probably okay. plays a certain uh, factor into it. But to me, it was just kind of, it blended into the ballpark noise for me. And I can't explain why that's the case, but it's definitely one of the blessings in my life. Put it that way. Cause when I went out of my way to notice it, I heard it and it was awful. <laughs> Once you to hear it. Yeah. I, well, I can't help but hear it, and I hate it. I absolutely despise it. I think everyone does, yeah. And loathe it with everything that is in me. And that's why, like, I just don't want to be anywhere near a Vanderbilt baseball game. You know, that's every, fair. Every year, at, me personally, every year at the SEC tournament, I openly root for Vanderbilt to lose and go home as quickly as possible. So the rest of us can enjoy the experience. And I got a feeling like <laughs> this year it's not going to happen. Vandy's probably going to like play a million games and win the whole thing. And, and then maybe it'll, you'll get the negative publicity that you deserve. But I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, the league can't do anything about two guys whistling at a game. I mean, they can't do anything about it. So nope. Um, I guess nope. that is, that is their unique tradition. <laughs> that they have to deal with as as they see fit. But yeah, I uh I, I'm lucky, I guess. It just kind of blends into the ballpark noise for me for for a while. Now when I'm consciously thinking about it, I can pick it out and and let it annoy me. But I, I, I just remember sitting in that press box for the first game and a half of that super regional and everyone around me is just groaning and moaning and grumbling and uh just cursing up a storm and I'm just kind of sitting there watching the game. Not really, not really taking yeah. it into, into account <laughs> of, of my enjoyment. I'm, I'm lucky yeah. in that regard. So I'm, I'm in the minority, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners are screaming at me right now for being able to, to tune that out, which I guess is fair. <laughs> I, I deserve that. Yeah. Well, um, but, I'm I'm really I enjoy the SEC tournament so much. I do, um, I do too. I really, it really might be my favorite event of yeah. the calendar year. Yeah, I, I'm with you. you like know, Omaha is better, but there's no guarantee mm-hmm. that they're going to get to Omaha. There's almost a guarantee that they're going to get to the to the SEC tournament every year, considering how bad Alabama is. That just yeah. means there's one spot left for left for for grabs in terms of not getting there so hoover is more or less guaranteed most years and since it is that's this really might be my favorite annual event on the calendar yeah no i'm with you i just you know you get all the teams there you run the multiple games in a day for me selfishly it's drivable so i don't have to fly it's home it's near home my dad comes up and he will this week. We'll spend the week together watching a bunch of baseball. We'll stay, you know, we'll share a hotel room, get to spend some time together, uh, and that kind of thing. Do the radio show there. Uh, so I'm going to do the radio show there Tuesday through Friday. And, you know, it's just a fun week. Um, you know, really, it's going to be hot this year. Temperatures in the 90s every yeah. day. So uh, sunscreen and big hats and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, late game for state. I was there with dad. In 2013, 
and watched every single pitch of a 17-inning marathon game that finished at about 2.30 a.m. between Mississippi State and Missouri. It finished 2-1. Mitch Slaughter drove in the winning run at like 2.30 a.m. Yeah, 17 innings. And we – I remember, like, we got to a point where it's like we're past midnight and we're like, we might as well stay for the whole thing. We're already here, you know. Yeah. And um, there was also – there was a play at the plate late in that game. So I'm going to guess it was in the extra innings. Umpire called Mississippi State out at the plate. My dad and I and other fans, we were convinced that the runner was safe. And so we really got on the umpire's case. I mean, we really – really let the umpire have it. And I just remember the next morning getting back to the room and watching the replay, and the umpire was totally right. He was absolutely – he absolutely made the, the right call. And, <laughs> and I remembered how bad I felt for just riding him like that. When I know he could hear it, but he just ignored us. But riding right. him like that when, in fact, he got the call right. So – <laughs> that was an important lesson for me. So all kinds of stuff will happen at the tournament. Brett, great podcast as always. Uh, congrats on your suntan, your broadcast from the kiddie pool in the outfield, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I look forward to hanging out with you a little bit over in uh, in Hoover. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll both be there for for the first few days. I'm sure we'll we'll turn some content out from, from Hoover at some point. Should we, should we open up to questions again? Why not? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Y'all, if y'all got questions for us, find us on Twitter. We'll, we'll answer them. We're not above that. That'd be great. Yeah. Send us your, your Twitter questions, your questions, (laughs) send us your Twitter (laughs) questions. Uh, and we'll get to some of those certainly. And then, um, yeah. So we'll check back in a little later on. Appreciate you tuning in the dog pile as always. Uh, shouts, to the young lady in the uh, right field um, seats just in front of the kiddie pool. She was one level down who made sure that she told me and wanted me to tell Brett how much she enjoys listening to uh, the Dog Pile podcast. So shout out to you. And thanks for saying it really loud where the other people around there could hear it also. We appreciate free advertising, baby. That's it. We appreciate Mississippi Land Bank and Jubilations for putting us on. And we'll see you next time on Dogpile. See ya.